My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the post-credit pod. Today we are tackling episode three of WandaVision on Disney+. Plus. Arguably, of the three episodes that are now available to audiences, probably the most important because it really starts pushing us towards the center of this unifying mystery that basically props up all of WandaVision. So Eric, I'm really excited to talk with you. I'm really excited to theorize about it. But first, we got to get to a whole bunch of news. There's a lot of happenings and going-ons in the entertainment industry right now. First off the bat is, unfortunately, despite our best hopes, despite our maybe naive optimism as of a few months ago, we are on the basically the precipice of the entire first half of 2021 seeing massive movie delays yet again we've already seen it for a handful of uh, big titles no time to die is moved to october after moving multiple times morbius moved last week and then because no time to die moved onto its spot it is now pushed all the way into 2022 uh uncharted <laughs> and ghostbusters wait uh, hold on time out time out time out time out james bond moved it to the day Morbius was going to come out? Yes, October 8th, I believe. And immediately, immediately, no. Sony announced that Morbius was out. Well, Morbius was set for March, though. Yeah, Are and then they, sure? they, they moved it to October last week. <laughs> Jared Leto just getting fucking dunked on again. You Pummel. love to see it. And like, listen. It. Wait, did you see what I tweeted about it? Hmm. <laughs> you know how we tweet, like, updates about, you know, just film news and stuff yeah. and well and i'll include like a photo so for this one you know and as i would in most tweets i would include a photo of the film or the star i posted that meme of Shaq where he's asleep instead <laughs> for, for the uh morbius move yeah that's great and like listen if, fuck jared leto <laughs> if you're out there and you're excited for Morbius, you're more than entitled to. I just don't know who among us thinks like, yeah, this is going to be a slam dunk critical commercial hit because it, based on everything we've seen, it just doesn't look like that. And I I just like, you know, release that one, uh, you know, sell it to a streamer. I don't know, Sony. Just yeah, figure. seriously, sell it to a streamer. That's their best bet. That Then I'd be hyped, right? Because then I could go into it as sort of like a, like look at it as sort of like a freebie, you know, yeah. like, oh, it's a free hit. Why not enjoy it? it's so bad it's good type vibe and hey it may turn out to be good but constantly delaying a project like this uh, you know well, but bond it. you know bond but that's, that's a huge bummer that's yeah, a that's huge painful. bummer obviously we want to see it i mean i think this goes to show you that despite rumors last year they are not going to be able to sell it to a streamer for the price that they were asking for so Hey, just hopefully we get to see it soon. That's that's all I can say. Yeah. Do you think that that's the release date that it'll come out, or do you think it moves again? Because I'm sort of I'm sticking with my company line. As long as the Batman holds, <laughs> I don't care what else happened. <laughs> I don't Which, know. Like, because I respect. Think about it, right. What else am I going to do at this point? There's no point in putting hope in all of these films that were supposed to come out last year and this year because October. I'm still at this stage, not even totally convinced. So as long as the Batman holds at this point, look, Bond, if, if when it does come out, if it does come out on that October date, that'll be like 18 months after it was supposed to come out in the first Big place, which is, which is just unbelievable. Man. My, my belief, regardless of whether October holds, is that under the new administration, the vaccine rollout plan will be a lot smoother, a lot more effective. And again, I, I have no idea when movies might return to even half of a normal level. I, I don't know if we're going to have a summer blockbuster movie season. Probably not. But I do believe we will recover quicker than we would have otherwise. Right. Sure. Agreed. That's Agreed. My, my belief. Luckily, though, unlike last year, Hollywood is more prepared Uh to deal with this lack of blockbuster films. So I don't think we're going to have such a dearth of content that we did last year, which I guess is the glass half full way of seeing things. And I think one substitute is the continued production on a lot of television shows, such as your number one Disney plus Marvel show moon Knight, which recently yeah. added Ethan Hawke to the cast. Yeah. I mean, look, we were psyched about it 
before, uh, A, because of the character itself and how much of a change of pace that's going to be from the sort of A-list MCU heroes that we've seen thus far. Um, B, because as we've talked about, their willingness to experiment with WandaVision's tone and style and their willingness to make Deadpool 3 rated R bodes well for what creative direction they might push Moon Knight in. C, because Oscar Isaac is probably one of the premier A-listers these days. And now D, dude, Ethan Hawke as your villain in what could be like a very potentially, uh, I don't want to say primal, but since Moon Knight deals with these sort of... Mystical vampire werewolf type threats. Yeah, just taking Ethan Hawke, who could ratchet up the weirdness to 11 when he really (laughs) wants, and having him be the main villain in this, you know, Moon Knight was among my most hyped for. Now it is far and away the MCU film or show that I am most pumped for. No question. And listeners got to remember that Ethan Hawke, as recently as last year, was shitting on comic book movies and material. And he was like, yeah, I enjoyed Logan, but let's not act like it's it's fucking Shakespeare. He said something along those lines. And he drew a lot of heat online because fanboys can't take a single iota of criticism. But that says to me that, (laughs) of course, listen, of course, Marvel probably offered him a ton of money, which is hard to say no to. But it says to me that the pitch that he received must have been very compelling for him to join on if he was willing to maybe alter his perception of comic book material to that point. Great point. And I think that that pitch was probably based on the stuff I just said. Yeah, definitely. They they told him, like, look, man, like, we're going to make this. We're getting weird over here, Ethan. And. And this is the knock on Moon Knight because he was essentially created in response to Batman. It was their attempt at having their own. But he's Batman. more like deranged than Batman, right? Well, but they have since played that up more to try and make him more his own thing. But when he was originally created, it was, you know, more of a rip. You know how like Thanos is a rip of Dark, Dark Side. It was yeah. it was sort of the same thing. But cool, okay. they found a way to make the character of his own. And now there's no word on who Hawk is playing. Moon Knight's main rival is a villain called Bushman, who was a mercenary that worked in Sudan with Moon Knight, uh, Mark Spector. Now, the scope of this show, and just like there's word that Loki season two is in the works, that makes me think that Moon Knight is going to be more than one season, which also leads me to believe that they're not going to introduce his main rival just yet so with that said i don't know who he's gonna play but i am saying that i don't think it's gonna be bushman it would be interesting it would be really interesting to see who he plays but sticking with comic book material matt damon is apparently in thor love and thunder in some sort of role now i've heard conflicting things some people are saying might be a little bit bigger than the cameo he had in thor ragnarok which was hysterical Uh, Now, I've heard also, though, that he owns a house in Australia. He's really good friends with Chris Hemsworth. So him being in Australia is actually not necessarily out of the norm. And it may just be another funny, simple, one-off cameo. Like, would I want Matt Damon in in a larger role in the MCU? Of course. It's Matt Damon. Everybody likes Matt Damon. But I'm not expecting that going into Thor 4. Yeah, I'm definitely on the same page i just assume that it's just going to be the same sort of funny cameo quick role that he had which i mean hell it may be the same sort of thing who knows you know i but wouldn't I be love, opposed because that was hysterical i love damon's willingness to do roles like this yeah. he is the cameo king it's it's hilarious whether it's in this or he pops up in uh euro trip and the band He's in... Um, Think about Entourage. He, he makes himself look like the biggest asshole in the world. He clearly has a great sense of humor and like he, yeah. very much is willing to be like, yeah, I'll make myself look like a fool. He's Fuck in uh, Deadpool 2. He's in... Uh, he has that just that ongoing like war with Jimmy Kimmel. So he's yeah. clearly a very self-aware, funny guy. Um, like obviously. I would love to get a beer with Matt Damon despite the fact that he's a Boston fan. Plus, uh, you know, that's just a name that you could tack on call sheet, right? It just builds further hype. Yeah, everyone's like, oh, yeah, we're going to see Matt Damon in this new movie. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So Pixar's Luca has now officially announced a plot synopsis. And this is exciting because 
we're basically getting a ton of new Pixar's originals coming up, and this is going to kind of expand. Actually, their- uh, they just dropped their popcorn shorts thing today. Did they? Yeah. It's, okay, it's perfect timing. Go check that out on Disney Plus. We could definitely weave that into it to the next episode once right. we get some time to watch it. But uh, Luca, set in a beautiful seaside town on the Italian Riviera, Disney and Pixar's original feature film is come is a coming of age story about one young boy experiencing an unforgettable summer filled with gelato, pasta, and endless scooter rides. Lucas shares these adventures with his newfound best friend, but all the fun is threatened by a deeply held secret. They are sea monsters from another world just below the water surface. So like Shape of Water meets like Call Me By Your Name meets Pixar. Dude, here they come again. Plus the Italian coast in that Pixar sort of view. What struck me most about the news this week was the first look image that they dropped. What's striking to me about it is that it seems to have a sort of claymation vibe to it. Uh, which I don't think we've oh, ever yeah. seen Pixar do. They've usually been pretty consistent in their style. Obviously, Soul was sort of the next evolution of that because it was just a uh, the way that they pushed the boundaries in the great beyond with those, you know, the shapes, sights, yeah. and sounds, but also how New York City was hyper realistic. But this looks to have a claymation y throwback vibe. I expect nothing but bangers from them at this point. <laughs> so now, given the way that release dates have been shifted back, this is currently scheduled for June 18th. Given their willingness to put soul on Disney Plus, it wouldn't surprise me if they did the same here, especially because and it's animation not a, can be done at home too. That and because if this was like Lightyear, where it was a uh, previously established brand, I don't think that they do that. But because it's something that doesn't necessarily have automatic cachet. I mean, yes, Pixar is the cachet in and of itself, but if this was like Toy Story 5, they would never. But because it's Luca and it's something new, there is a chance that they may just say fuck it and have that stream as well, which would be great. Yeah, I'd be up for that. And now I'm reading about it too, where the the image was first published in Empire. And according to the director, Luca pays homage to the works of classic Italian filmmakers, like La Dolce Vita, an eight and a half director, Federico Fellini. He also cited Hayao Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli as influences. So like, all great things, yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. These motherfuckers are going to do it to us again. I just know it. I I just know it. Oh, great. All right. In other news, uh, it's been reported that HBO is developing another Game of Thrones prequel based on George R. R. Martin's novellas, the Duncan Egg series, which is uh, A Night in the Seven Kingdoms. The three novels were combined for that. Not only that, but they're developing a handful of other pitches as well to have multiple Game of Thrones series, similar to Disney Plus having multiple Marvel and Star Wars series. Uh, that includes Robert's Rebellion, which would be very cool. It's apparently being pitched, but no guarantees. But for anyone who doesn't know, the Duncan Egg prequels are, are great. They're such easy, quick reads. I highly recommend them. But basically, they're set 90 years before the Game of Thrones show. They follow Sir Duncan the Tall, Dunk, and future Who they King- talked about in the show a few times, I believe, right? I, he has been name-dropped before. Because he's such a, like, a legend. It's interesting, because he's a, he's a different type of legend. But it okay. follows him and his squire, uh, future King Aegon V Targaryen, who's nickname is Egg. He would later become known as Aegon the Unlikely because he kind of had this surprising circuitous route to the throne. He was never necessarily supposed to be king. Uh, Long story short, Duncan is a very simple hedge knight. He is a man of the people. He is broke as fuck. He's not particularly bright. He's not particularly skilled, but he's just a massive human being with a very kind heart who knows how to throw down. Uh, Egg is his squire. And on their journeys, Egg comes to appreciate and respect the common people. So much so that the ruling elite of Westeros actually did not like him as a king because of how much he tried to help the common folk. Uh, For anyone who's interested, Alt-Shift-X, great YouTuber, has a great uh, video on the Duncan Egg series that explains a lot of really cool things that thematically ties, ties it to Game of Thrones. And then just a fun fact, some believe that Brienne is actually a descendant of Duncan, uh, because they're just massive individuals. They're just gigantic. <laughs> and then this is not a spoiler because it's, you know, 
history. We already know it. Egg actually grows up into the king. He becomes a little bit infamous despite being a kind king because he and Dunk and many others die when Egg tries to reawaken dragons, which is the cause of the massive fire at Hall, which has been mentioned and referenced throughout Game of Thrones. So a lot of interesting history there. Really good characters. Highly recommend reading the novellas and something that, that would make for a very good series, in my opinion. You know, people are generally very down on the Thrones brand right now when i write about this and then tweet it on and then put it on our facebook and such all the comments and responses are fuck game of thrones who cares blah, blah, blah. i'm not that quite down on it especially if you know they take that approach of letting the creators make the project their own the fantasy genre will always have value especially if it's on a channel like hbo Brandon, this week, I actually forgot to tell you, I watched Lord of the Rings first time. You've uh, never seen Lord of the Rings? I watched all three. I told you that before. But yeah, I finally got around to watching them. <laughs> Wait, what? You've never <laughs> seen Lord of the Rings? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bro, how never... can you be a nerdy podcaster without ever seeing? Okay, well, we need to like talk about that for like 30 <laughs> minutes. I'm sorry, okay. but you've just you disrupted said... the entire podcast schedule. <laughs> you said that the last time. You're like, that's its own pod. I think, the pro- I think the problem was that I just never caught them as a kid. And then it just never happened. I was never like, oh, I'm just going to c- commit a day. or. A All right, well, quickly, what did you think? Quickly, yeah, quickly. My main takeaway was, how did anyone in theaters understand what's going on without the use of subtitles? I didn't really <laughs> find the, the language that hard to like decipher. I, I, was, I was largely confused until I turned on the closed captioning. I think it's... I think it's uh, an incredible feat how they pulled that off when they pulled it off to the quality that they did is pretty remarkable. I think you're, as you like to say, your mileage on its fantasy elements, which I thought were pretty hardcore. I find, you know, shows like Game of Thrones, I found to be more accessible than The Rings, but once you sort of get over that hill and you, you could wrap your mind around the three divergent plots and the characters and who's who and who's trying to do what, the way that it, I, I think I'm just not so much impressed by the story itself, but sort of the achievement in filmmaking that it is. Um, I get it. And it makes me want to play Elder Scrolls and like, <laughs> and, and like dive into that fucking, you know, that, that world. I thought about, and then going to watch the, Hobbit, uh, but, don't I watch the Hobbit you, but then I thought of you being it's like such garbage. Overall, I'd say, you know, given that the hype has built up over the last 20 years, it definitely lived up to that hype. All my, right, then that's fa- all you need. My favorite is probably uh, two. Yeah, two, ta- not- two Towers is like genuinely considered to be the best one. Oh, it is? It yeah. is? Okay, okay. Two Towers fucked. Gotcha. And fun fact before we get back to Thrones and then move on, uh, the role of Gandalf was originally offered to Sean Connery and he turned it down and they offered him a generous back end percentage in terms of the box office. And he turned it down because he thought it was going to be a flop. Had he accepted, he would have earned a hundred million dollars on the first film. Him alone. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. hundred million dollars. He turned it down. Uh, my second biggest takeaway was I feel like we don't talk about Ian McKellen enough. He's the I man. mean, yes, I get Gandalf, that he's like... He's Magneto. He's also one of the best Macbeths in on-screen representation. He, he is... The sense of, like, calm and warmth he brings to what's essentially like a Jesus-esque role is, uh, like, how he seems like Jesus, but chill. He gets it. Like, he, <laughs> like he's like the old bloke down the road. Jesus. You know what I mean? Please. So he was great. Gandalf was obviously my favorite character. Legolas, who... I always, uh, to quote 40-year-old version, when they're talking about Damon and Bourne, I always thought Orlando Bloom was kind of a dry sand, but he rocks the shit in these movies, man. Yeah, he's good. Legolas <laughs> is the man. And his, his competition with Gimli and everything, it's great. Very cool. Yeah, so I definitely enjoyed that one day when we'll pot on that. We've become completely sidetracked, but like, I, I did not know that 27 years old, you've watched it for the first time. Or I mean, you did, but I just forgot. You told me. So, like, obviously we need to talk about that. All right, but quickly, just to round it back to Thrones before we move on to last bit of news and then hop into WandaVision. I agree with what you said. Last couple seasons of Game of Thrones were bad. 
The final season was awful, but that does not erase what came before. Doesn't erase the fact that Duncan Egg has source material that the new creators can te- can use. And it doesn't change the fact that all these other prequels have other creators. It's not like Damon. Uh, it's not like David Benioff and DB Weiss are coming back to be like, "Oh, I'm going to ruin this one too." <laughs> so it, it's an you know someone else is stepping up to the plate. So I, I don't think exactly. holding the end of Game of Thrones after four and a half seasons of excellence is fair um, when we're talking whoa, about and new projects. Whoa, and you're, and you're- capping it at four season six the battle of the bastards come on man i even thought season seven was was passable it's where season eight is where it just falls off it really it really unravels yeah uh but i i guess our bottom line is that we are hyped for any thrones prequel that they may give us as long as the creative talent is there yeah and it's just the most obvious move from like a corporate business standpoint ever it's like i said exactly the same thing as disney plus being like our biggest brands are star wars and marvel we should make a ton of shows about that same exact thing for warner media and game of thrones yep all right you want to hit your most anticipated little tidbit of news oh yeah wandavision okay so uh kevin smith this week who is the director of mall rats and what clerks and stuff like that uh plugged into the comic book space on his podcast he said that he's hearing that at hbo max they are developing a quote-unquote sequel to the 1990s hit batman the animated series that take you that with talk- a grain of salt though because i just want to say i love as much as i love kevin smith he has said things before that got fans excited that did not come to fruition well to be fair to him the guy that he was podcasting with also said that he heard that so it came from both of them yes it was on on the same podcast but they but like one of them said it and then the next said i heard that too um hope you want to talk and you want to talk about no brainers this is one of them right the brand is there both a it's batman and b the animated series is known to be not just one of the best cartoons ever but one of the best batman iterations comic book, movies, TV of all time. They've got the perfect home for it. it. This is the perfect HBO Max type of thing. And as by my count, you only need three people to make this work. Bruce Tim, who is the series creator, writer. Kevin Conroy, who is the voice of Batman and Bruce. And Mark Hamill, who does the voice of Joker. All three of them have been in in and around and involved with Warner Bros. Batman productions since this show went off the air. They're still in the loop. I see no reason why they wouldn't want to do it if HBO Max let them. I think the important distinction here is I would want, like, when they say sequel, what does that mean? Because isn't Batman Beyond technically a sequel? Maybe um, what they so mean what is a saying, revival. Exactly. And that is very exciting. Yeah. Uh, listen, it's a no-brainer. I have nothing to add to that. Of course, I want to see the Batman animated series return with the original talent. Boom. That's it. The, the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, yeah, so that's a no-brainer, Eric, but we're going to keep it with comic books. We're going to switch over from DC to Marvel. We're finally going to hop in to episode three, titled Now in Color of WandaVision. Uh, Right off the bat, we know it's the 70s, and we're getting a very Brady Bunch vibe right from the beginning. It pretty much picks up very close to where episode, episode two ended in that Wanda and Vision are like, holy crap, we're pregnant. Uh, and Vision's like, we need to get the doctor over here. Dr. Nielsen. I have no idea if that's a reference to Nielsen ratings, which was obviously extremely important for sitcom TV ratings and general linear broadcast TV ratings for decades. But I like to think it is. Just that it's a little like, hey, old TV, got it? <laughs> yeah, it's not spelt the same, but I, it wouldn't shock me. Mm-hmm. Everything that they that they do is planned. <laughs> exactly. So we obviously know that this pregnancy is abnormal because it wasn't like they were bumping uglies and trying. It just kind of appeared one day. Uh, Nielsen says that, hey, guys, everything's fine. Uh, your your baby seem, seems healthy. You're probably about a couple months. And Vision's like, wait, what? What, what, what about like 12 hours? That's how long we've known. So they're obviously very confused and some odd stuff is going down. He's about to go, the doctor's about to go to Bermuda with his wife. So Vision is like, all right, 
we need to basically, you know, explain this. And Wanda's like, no, we, we got to keep it on the DL because she's been trying to basically hide their true selves from the entire neighborhood. Uh, so she, he's like, he agrees. He's walking a Nielsen out when he sees his neighbor, Herb, who's cutting in like shrubbery, his shrubbery basically starts to cut through the brick wall that separates their, their, uh, their properties. And this is the first of many instances of other characters' behaviors essentially breaking down, eroding maybe, where they are doing things abnormally. They are doing things that don't make sense. They don't seem to be in total control of what they're doing. Vision v- points it out to him. He's like, hey, Herb, you're uh, cutting into the wall there. And Herb's just like, yep, guess and I he am. keeps cutting, <laughs> yeah. staring at him. And I, I like these moments of unsettling weirdness. I think these are some t- probably the best elements mixed and juxtapos- juxtaposed Agreed. with the hi-ho, like, ha-ha, laugh track sitcoms. Agreed. I like that. Totally Something agree. else is going on. So basically Vision comes back inside. He goes, yeah, that was weird, but forgets it. They argue about baby names. You know, she wants Tommy. He wants Billy after Billy Shakespeare. Um, <coughs> excuse me. They are kind of preparing their house. They they build cribs. They build a nursery. They paint the wall. Then all of a sudden Wanda goes from a couple months pregnant to six months pregnant, which is obviously, again, abnormal. She starts freaking out with contractions. It causes this energy surge that knocks out the power in their house. And as we learn later in the episode, basically throughout the Westview neighborhood, uh, she then gives birth to twins with the help of Geraldine, who we know is Monica Rambeau. During this, Wanda, uh, during this vision has run over to Dr. Nielsen using his super speed to bring him back. We get Billy and Tommy, both who have significant uh, significant history in the comic books. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in a minute. We're going to theorize a little bit about that. And while Vision goes back outside, Geraldine is with Wanda, kind of overlooking their babies. And she mentions that she was a twin, Pietro, who we saw in Age of Ultron. Geraldine says, wasn't he killed by Ultron? And this is when things start to break down in the episode, which I, I really liked. You can tell that it permeates this fog that Wanda has been in. She, she, she's like, what did you just say? You know, it, it brings her a little bit back closer to the reality that actually exists. She just to uh, jump ahead real quick, because you brought up how strong you thought part was. This was my rewind that real quick. I, I, th- I think it's a great call. Yeah. And I like also in this moment, too, she notices the necklace that Geraldine, a.k.a. Monica Rambeau, is wearing. That is a sword pendant. Obviously, she is an agent of sword, which, for the most part of the good guys, based on, you know, comic history, definitely figuring out how exactly she belongs. And I'm going to ask a couple questions about Geraldine's slash Monica Rambeau's role in a minute. But she starts to question Monica's Geraldine's existence, her who she is, her identity. Uh, Vision is outside during all this, having an extremely weird conversation with Agnes, Catherine Hahn, and Herb, who, who's the actor name I can't remember at the moment. And they're asking him, is Geraldine inside with Wanda? And he's like, yeah, why? What, what gives? And they say, well, she doesn't have a home. She doesn't have a family. She doesn't have kids. Isn't that a little suspicious? And Wanda Envision uh, doesn't really see anything wrong with it because he's woke, even if it's the 70s. But Herb says, well, it, it's, it matters because we're all, we're all, we're all. And basically he can't get the words out and Agnes stops him from saying whatever he is going to say before riding off on her bicycle in just the oddest, weirdest way possible. Vision knows they're not telling him something. Vision knows they know something that he doesn't. It's extremely strange conversation. And so he walks back into the house a bit bewildered and he asks, where's Geraldine? Wanda says a bit lost, a bit back into her fog, a bit detached from that moment of clarity she just had. Like, oh, she left, sweetie. And from that, we see a kind of zoom out almost to the real world. The aspect ratio of the television changes to widescreen from that kind of old school vertical format. 
and we see Geraldine slash Monica Rambeau literally ejected from a force field of sorts onto a field. We see her get swarmed by sword, sword agents, and we see the physical boundaries of this fictional alternate world that she that Wanda has created. And then the episode ends. And so, like I said in last week's episode, which you, which you should definitely go back and check out, by the end of episode three, the central mysteries of the show are starting to push toward the center, which I really like because it's combining the experimentation of the sitcom Brady Bunch formula, the decade-spanning formula, with comic roots such as Timmy and Billy, Tommy and Billy, which we'll talk about, and this more traditional Marvel climax that it's building towards where obviously there's a conspiracy of sorts going on. Yeah, this was definitely the best one so far because, and, and this was sort of a common complaint about the first two that, that dropped last week. And while I definitely agree with it and hear it, I didn't feel that way because I have more of a, I have more of a willingness to accept what they were trying to do. But the point being is that the first two were too sitcom and not MCU-y enough. Uh, right. They weren't, as you like to say, or I think you've said, you know, show us what's going on behind the curtain. Now that they've done that and they are melding those two threads, you get the sort of picture that from here on out, it's money time. You know, yeah. from, from, from this point forward, it's not going to, yes, they're going to continue to try to do this, this, this sitcom things, but that'll be, that won't be the body. That'll just be like the clothes that, it's it's wearing the body of the show has now become what's going on with wanda where is she who are these what we're now seeing are two diverging forces right. trying to either a set her free or b control her so i think this went a long way to rein in pun intended vision <laughs> of the show nice. and to give and to give us a clearer idea of what we've been watching, because now I think when you go back and watch the old ones, they may have a better, they may make more sense now that you sort of have a better idea of what's going on behind the scenes. So not only does it paint a clearer picture of what we've seen, but it gives us an idea of what's to come. And all of this money that they've spent on it seems pretty backloaded. What they've given us so far are not these massive feats of CGI. So that leads me to believe whatever is coming is going to be, you know, worthy of an MCU film. I got to believe so. And I, I also like this episode for its nice little flourishes. We get another fake commercial where the quotes are, escape to a world all your own where your problems fall away. So in each episode, we've gotten a commercial that is a reflection of what's truly going on. Uh, they also the commercial also says find the goddess within, which is everyone is seems to be taking as like, oh yeah, she's basically a god because she can create reality. So I love that they reflect her mental state. Um, I really liked also that uh, from like a storytelling standpoint, they didn't draw out the pregnancy like a real sitcom would. It was like she was pregnant, she had her babies, and I think that's important too because her babies both from comics origins and speculation and theorization that I've researched and read throughout the week are very important. Now I'm going to get kind of a little mini deep dive here in the comics. Tommy and Billy were also at first constructs created by Wanda's mutant powers in a similar alternate reality. And then she gives them a soul and makes them kind of real by making a deal with uh, Mephisto and Mephisto is a demonic, devil-like entity. He's seen in Ghost Rider and just generally is up to no good most of the time. He's also <laughs> tangled with Doctor Strange and Doctor Doom as well. I don't know if he's a thing for doctors. Wouldn't be that far out of the normal. A lot of people do. Uh, <laughs> in, in the comics, Mephisto kills her children. And I put that in air quotes because he basically absorbs them to get parts of his soul back and like to absorb their power and become more powerful himself. Uh, now a little bit of a left's turn. As you mentioned previously, Agnes, Catherine Hahn's character, is prob probably Agatha Harkness from the comics. Uh, in the comics, Harkness was a witch who helped the, who basically looked after the son of Sue and Reed Richards from the Fantastic Before. She also, in the comics, erased Wanda's memory 
to help with her grief in the comics, and then basically became a mentor to help her hone her abilities and powers. Now, what I am thinking is Ralph, her mysterious husband that she continues to mention and we never see, is he actually Mephisto? Because in episode two, someone says during the talent show, the devil's in the details. And she goes, that's not the only place he is. And my whole thinking to tie all this craziness together is, is Mephisto letting Wanda stay trapped within her own self-made alternate reality so that she can have children, that they can grow up to be powerful, and that he can absorb them to become more powerful himself? And all of that would kind of build towards a Doctor Strange appearance, which you've talked about many times, as he takes on Mephisto in the comics and opens up the door to even more multiverse shenanigans. And beyond that, Mephisto also has source material ties to Peter Parker and the, the Fantastic Four. We know Doctor Strange 2 and uh, Spider-Man 3 are connected, and we know Fantastic Four is on the horizon. So what we've been saying this whole time... First couple episodes are really committed to the sitcom bit and unlike anything the MCU has ever delivered before. Now, with all that rambling, ranting speculation in mind that I just mentioned, doesn't that sound more in line with the Marvel formula in which it is a building block sequential chapter slash nod, wink, wink to the larger universe at, at hand? Doesn't that sound more like the traditional Marvel storytelling we've come to know, but done in this cool new way? Well, that is sort of what this show is. That is what it is at its core. And that's what we've given it credit for thus far. This is probably the most experimental MCU project that we've ever gotten. As I brought up on the last podcast, the fact that they're melding, A, sitcom themes. B, I don't want to go so, so far as horror, but sort of unnerving uneasiness. It's like an uh, avant-garde, unsettling vibe. And then melding that with also superhero comic book tropes. The fact that they're doing all three of these things at once, while, as you just said, like they're at the same time deconstructing what they are and building towards something bigger. Yeah. Which is, which is <laughs> I mean, what, what, what can you even say at this point? That's some Inception shit right there. <laughs> yeah, I want to touch on what you said about Ralph. Real quick, because when she does bring up Ralph and, and it's passed off as a sex joke, but she says he looks better in the dark. And that to me is just like, that's like, a big red flag. Some other people think he could be the MCU's version of the Grim Reaper, which also has a comic book tie. So but I think going on. But I, but I do think that Mephisto is a strong guess because as we, we've been saying this whole time, They've got to work in Doctor Strange somehow. We thought it may just be he's the only one who could help Wanda. Now it may seem like he may have to intervene to uh, yeah. not even help Wanda, but just to stop them, period. And like helping Wanda's a side benefit. He's like, God damn it, I got to babysit again. Exactly, exactly. Like he may not even know that she's there. But like, Wanda, what the hell are you doing here? I'm here dealing with this devil <laughs> you know. guy. Um, what a weird existence Doctor Strange has. Now, I'm curious to ask you, when do you think they make the big reveal? Whatever that may be. I, I would say because reports have said the last three episodes are bigger in scale, that we'll either get it in the sixth episode setting up those last three, or those last three will be the ultimate unfurling of what the fuck's going on. Yeah. That's my guess. Interesting, too, because... The way, and you have this in our notes about uh, Monica, Agnes clearly seems like a threat. Sword doesn't necessarily feel like a, th a friend at this stage either. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it, it doesn't really feel like either one of them have Wanda's good intentions on their mind. Um, but just from what we know about Sword from the comics and what we know that, like, Monica Rambeau grew up as a happy child, I would assume... They're the good guys. And we think Jimmy Woo, Randall Park's character, is probably working for them as well. We know, even though he was an annoyance, he was probably a good guy in Ant-Man. Right. Um, and so Sword, let's dive into Sword real quick. This is not the first time that Sword has popped up in the show. They popped up in episode two when Wanda finds that red, what looks like a toy helicopter, but I think it could just be a mini real one. She Oh, that out. would be cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's... Uh, yeah, uh, that has the sword 
logo on it. And then also when the beekeeper comes out from the ground on the back of his jumpsuit is the sword symbol. I didn't so, catch that. That'd yeah, be yeah. interesting. So, and now sword in the MCU is a little different than sword in the comics. In the MCU, sword stands for sentient weapon observation and response department. In the comics, it stands for sentient world observation and response. And now, while that's only a relatively minor change in semantics, it's a massive change in substance as it suggests that the MCU's version of S.W.O.R.D. might actually be a check against the Avengers, who are essentially sentient weapons. It's like what Samuel L. Jackson said in the Avengers. Why are you guys making weapons? And he, and he points to Thor. He goes, because of him. Because we learned we weren't alone and we were hopelessly, hilariously outgunned. Which, listen, I, I get the moral of the PG-13 kids Marvel movie. Hey, like, don't use science discovery to make weapons. But from a real world standpoint, like, yeah, I want some fucking checks and balances in place to ensure our safety. Sword is a more as a much more larger scale operation than than Shield. So yeah, and that and that's very cool because obviously we're very familiar with Shield at this point. So to ratchet it up makes it a, a, just a little bit more intense and raises the stakes. My question for you: This is something I still can't tell through three episodes. Is Geraldine there to protect and monitor Wanda? And if she is, has she also, because she's in this alternate reality, forgotten some of the real world? Because I can't tell. Sometimes I think she's being uh, savvy and crafty. And other times I think maybe being dipped into this alternate reality has made it very blurry and and hazy for her. And she's like, wait, where did I come from? Right. And that's a great point because when she gets spit back out into the real world, they're ready for her, right? Like yeah. there, there appears to be a, a an entire army base built around whatever it is that's going on. So, and because as we've talked about on last week's pod, she is a superhero in it of itself. So maybe they're using her against her will to go in there. You know, both given the way that they sort of surround her, like she's a uh, not a threat, but that they got to keep track of her that she seems confused as you just said either a because she doesn't know who she is or b she's trying to use that confusion to coax wanda into right. remembering the facts i think that she may she is very clearly a good guy and is trying to help wanda i don't know if we could say the same for sword as a whole yeah they might have some nefarious underdealings on the horizon potentially all right you want to hop into our awards and categories eric yes sir all right, first up, the Infinity Gauntlet Award. Fine. I'll do it myself. Which is our real MVP award. I'm going to go with construction, not in the literal hard hat sense, in the construction of this show. As we've now talked about ad nauseum, we really like how it is balancing so many different flavors at the same time it is a sitcom alternate reality that she's either trapped in or using as a safe haven it is a typical blockbuster mcu build-up type series and it's a little bit of a david lynch on xanax type avant-garde weirdness and i like that all these things are melding together to provide what to me is an interesting experimentation in short enough episodes that it doesn't bother me that there's not much going on and that it's making me ask questions and come up with theories, which is one of my favorite things to do, and which, respectfully, not all of the MCU does. It can be a little bit straightforward and... Uh, yeah, a little bit. So uh, I- I'm really happy right now with the way they're attacking this. For my MVP, I am going with 1970s fashion. Just Ooh, okay. I just kind of dig their steeds. Everything seemed like colorful and comfortable but you could wear it to a party you could wear it out wanda's pregnancy dress like that colored striped thing very looked great. Flowy. visions uh sweater over his tie and shirt game his 70s Primo. hair looks great too when he's in 70 form. yeah the flow uh next i'm going with pregnancy books because they just seem helpful based on what i've heard and Wait, how like, they are literally 
and how they're used in this show. Uh, <laughs> they just seem key to what they're trying to do there. And then C, I'm going with the absolute miracle of childbirth, because why not? All right, the Thor The Dark World Award for the worst performance. Death would have come to you soon enough. Not by your hand. Your universe was never meant to be. I'm going to get a little meta with it here. I am giving the worst performance to the performance of the characters. And what I mean by that is specifically Agnes and Monica Rambeau and Herb. They do a terrible job of trying to keep the fact that they know things that the others don't a secret. That is intentional. It's, it's good acting. I'm not saying they do a bad job acting. I am saying their performance of the characters is shit. Hey, don't tell Vision. Don't tell me what, guys. I can hear you. You know, it's ridiculous. Dude. All right, so great call. Because for mine, I had Herb. It's just like, buddy, you're blowing it. You've got one job to just be a neighbor. It's very like Truman Show-esque. You know what I mean? Like yeah, they just very. they they have a role to fill and they've got to fill it each day, but he just absolutely breaks down. Doesn't even doesn't even A, he is the one who alerts Vision to the fact that things are weird by cutting through his fucking wall. And then B <laughs> Come on, when, Herb. when Vision goes to confront them about it, he almost blows it again. So I don't know what kind of what Herb really is or is not, but they got to replace his ass and fire him. Like within the constructs of the universe, of the fake yeah. universe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Herb, yeah. You're, you're, you're failing. Uh, the Jarvis Award for the best performance by anyone except the lead actor. Allow me to introduce myself. I am Jarvis, a virtual artificial intelligence, and I'm here to assist you with a variety of tasks as best I can. A little bit ironic because Paul Bettany voiced Jarvis, but I like it. I am going with, Dr. Nielsen, because I think what he says, I don't think we'll make it on our vacation. You know, small towns, Vision, hard to escape from. Very ominous, very creepy, yet still yeah. old man friendly. I think in, in two scenes, he does a good job of establishing the undercurrent of oddity that runs through WandaVision and for basically saying, hey, this isn't normal because he's our reference point to what is for a pregnancy. And obviously what we're seeing is extremely outside of reality. Damn. I didn't even think about that one. That is, that is impressive. Um, I'm going with, and forgive me if I get this name wrong, Tiona Paris. Is that it? I, yeah. I don't know the correct pronunciation, but she's, I think she's doing a good job. Yeah. Sure. Uh, she just seems like she's having a blast and those, moments where she's really flaunts and and does very exaggerated 70s style lingo or in those moments where she's has this face of like forgetful horror she's doing a lot in those scenes yeah. and now that she's becoming a bigger character in the plot i only expect her to continue to do great things she seems like she's having a lot of fun while also sort of balancing as we've talked about a lot these sort of very narrow window of uneasiness that they are somehow able to you know fill i forgot to mention this and it's a thought that popped in my head as i was watching she with wanda in their home is telling a story about what happened to her at work and essentially how she worked her way into a promotion correct yeah in that moment, it reminded me very much of Reservoir Dogs when Tim Roth is learning how to go undercover and the guy's teaching him. It's all about a specific story with specific details that you live and breathe so much that it convinces them it's true. And that is kind of the same vibe, obviously in a very different manner that I got from Monica Rambeau. She is selling the shit out of this cover story until she either intentionally or unintentionally slips up with Ultron. And I just thought that was a cool little parallel that probably I'm reading too much into, but that's where my mind took me as a pop culture junkie. I was like, yeah. oh yeah, it's the Tim Roth undercover uh, I like status. that, I like that, I like that. All right, how about the what the fuck award? What are you most confused about thus far? Mm -hmm. So we touched on this before. Uh, I think it's Ralph. I think they're obviously doing something with the fact that uh, Agnes is always bringing up Ralph, despite the fact that he is nowhere to be seen. Um, not so much I'm confused about it, because I can sort of tell what they're doing, but more of, I have no clue what the exact details of it are. Right. I think that makes sense. Now, I agree kind of on the larger point, 
in terms of like Ralph and other things that we just don't get like the beekeeper, the beekeeper coming out of the ground and whatnot by episode four next week. Are you going to be frustrated if we don't get a little bit more zoom out on the greater plot? Or will you be fine if it's a yet another, like this was sitcom for 90% and then 10% of it were little nods. I don't think that's possible because Wanda is aware now, right? Like she, I, I think the, the dam has been broken. And she used another rewind in this episode when Wa- well, when Vision was specifically saying there's something wrong here. And she's like, nope, there's something right well, here. Well, perfect, because that leads me into my time stone that real quick. I'm going to choose anytime Wanda rewinds her world, it's going to be my choice. It is, it's such a cool way. And they do it in such a jarring way in this week, right? Like last week, it was a literal rewind. You watch the camera play backward. It had the rewind sound. This time it just cuts. And it's all the more disturbing and it better sort of highlights her fractured mental state and her sort of reactionary way of dealing with the world seeping into her fake world that she's trying to create. Um, Those moments, whether it be characters not knowing who they are and starting to figure it out or Wanda trying to ignore the facts, those to me are when the show is are when the show is at its best. I like that. That was a good answer. Not that your other answers aren't good, but I like that one particularly. <laughs> All right, mine is the scene where she's talking to Monica Rambeau on the couch. And she's trying to get rid of that bird, and I'm gonna choose that because. And are you are you ready? Can I get a drum roll for this? Uh-huh. Tony Stork <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> Fucking nailed it. Best joke of the week. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. That'll be all for us. <laughs> Tip your podcast host. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Stark. Oh, oh god. my god. Speaking I of like, you. you know, the birth of the miracle of life and stuff, I'm already in dad joke mode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you've been like that. <laughs> I true. can picture you being like 10 and just having a gang of dad jokes. Yeah, I I, I rolled deep in the dad jokes from day what's, one. What's red, white, and blue all over, Dad? Guess. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh what, what's next here? Go Put ahead. Put this in Odin's Vault Award. Odin's Treasures. Fake. Most of the stuff in here is fake. Which is our Museum Award. This one I struggled with. I, I couldn't... Okay. Because this was a, a very self-contained episode. So I think... And this is a weird answer. But the fucking look that Herb gives Vision as he continues to cut through his wall with a smile <laughs> on his face... That was a really good moment in the show. And and we keep coming back to this point. The more it seeps out into these different lanes of unique strangeness, the more interested I get, the more theories I have, the more questions I have as to what really is going on. And his just blank smiling look as he does something inexplicable is a microcosm for why I am intrigued and engaged in the mystery that WandaVision has created. You looked at a micro example. Mine's a little bit more macro. And it's, again, those moments of reality creeping into Wanda's world and her utter desperation to ignore and reverse those moments is simultaneously creepy and just devastating. Yeah. And the fact that they're able to mix those two feelings of of unease but also heartbreak is as i just said i think that that those elements like as when we talked about mando i'd say at its core it's a father-son show those moments are this show's core it is a at its heart it is trying to instill this sense of unease and when they as you said let that leak out and permeate in increasingly unique ways i love it yeah. And, and like, right. in some way, it's 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 not as dark as the MCU has ever been because they literally vaporized an entire world. But even so, that... But in terms of, like, thematics, like, this could be as dark as the MCU has ever been. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's dealing with mental health and grief and trauma, and I like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. All right, the Cap Lifts the Hammer Award for Best Hero Moment... I knew it. 
It's Wanda giving birth to twins like a champ. I mean, how can it be anything else? I had, well, because this one, uh, I had Vision using his speed to go pick up the doctor. All right, that was pretty good, too. They were both being good parents and good husband-wife in that moment. Right, right. I like that. All right, what's the worst thing you can say about this episode? Uh, Mine's kind of like a two-pointer that argues against the worst point as well. So let me just get to it. It is, as we said, very inaccessible to large swaths of fans because of how committed to its sitcom bit it is. And anecdotally speaking, I have heard from tons of friends and colleagues with young kids that WandaVision absolutely is not connecting with those those audiences, those young kids, uh, unsurprisingly so, and that is working better with, with adults, like you said, your parents who took an interest in it because of these sitcom styling. So... For those fans who don't have a deep well of knowledge of the mid to late 20th century sitcom format, and those who don't really like this pseudo-surrealism style that is yet to be explained, I understand. And I understand why it might not be the best launching pad for Disney Plus and the Marvel small screen empire. But at the same time, Marvel seems to be too big to fail at this point. And it does feel that WandaVision can be a lesser hit that may not be the blockbuster you necessarily expect with the core card target demo, especially with the Falcon and Winter Soldier coming on its heels that will serve as that more traditional standard hit. So it, it seems like because Marvel has become so successful, because we've been deprived of Marvel content for so long, they are now freer to experiment. And that's a good thing and a bad thing for certain swaths of fans who want a specific type of content from Marvel. For mine, the worst thing that I could say is that I think, as you just said, like, would I be annoyed if they didn't uh, sort of reveal more in episode four? I do think the sitcom thing runs the risk of becoming a gimmick if they don't continue to reveal the plot. While in the first episodes, I, w- I enjoyed the novelty of the sitcom stylings, if they continue down that road and don't continue to advance the plot, which I fully expected to do, then they run the risk of one of the show's more charming aspects just sort of becoming a superficial add-on that they're doing less less for substance and more just for sheer style. Um, The best thing that I can say and that I've brought up a few times, this is, you know, they continue to prove that this is the most experimental and perhaps dark project that they've made. Those moments of whether it be Wanda acknowledging the death of her twin or rewinding her world because she doesn't want to accept that even Vision himself is starting to become aware to the fact that things are not as they seem or Monica seemingly not knowing who she is to Herb cutting through the wall to Agnes's general vibe. (laughs) Everything about this show's weirdness layered (laughs) over what we are expecting to be an eventual MCU quote-unquote film you know, I just continue to remain impressed by Feige and Marvel and the way that they continue to, you know, these guys could coast if they really wanted yeah. to, but they don't. They continue to push boundaries. And for fans like us, that's fantastic. Now, in terms of this episode, I think my favorite element is a lot of the theories we discussed before. We are clearly moving towards some type of setup that connects to the larger mcu universe and i think that's impressive that it could can tell a standalone story that also sets up future events in a compelling manner and if it is mephisto expect him to continue on through doctor strange 2 and other projects as maybe not the thanos level big bad but probably not a one-off big bad either and so that's pretty interesting and fun for me to, to think about and play with all right, any cool stuff worth mentioning? I don't have any fun facts for this because it's a, uh, you know, there's there's not much trivia out there until after the fact, usually. Right, so you kind of took mine at the top. I was just going to touch on what they said in the commercial. Yeah, that was fun. Which is, I guess it can't help to just say it again. It says, do you need a break? Come with me. Escape to a world all your own where your problems load away. 
when you want to get away, but you don't want to go anywhere. Hydra soak. Find the goddess within. Lenny Kravitz. I want to get away. <laughs> Not quite. He would be the 90s, right? I don't know. But all I know is it's it's a I've cracked the code. It's Lenny Kravitz and WandaVision. I'm totally right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, well, it's a fucking weekend yes we are going to enjoy it until next week we will be tackling more WandaVision and all the up to date blockbuster mainstream news in the meantime find us on Pod on twitter and please leave a review and, and a five star review and subscription on Apple Podcasts thank you y'all talk to you later take it easy I'm going to make them an offer again My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius.